This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com. It's season eight, episode 28, and I'm joined this week by Javon Edmonds and Caden Steele. Kyle Gauss is off. We thought he was off last week, and then he joined us maybe a few minutes into the pod. Don't anticipate that happening this week, but uh, I don't know. You never know. He likes to keep us guessing. What's going on, guys? How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for you. Two out of three of us are mourning a Super Bowl loss. Yeah, yeah my condolences about that. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm still, I'm a little bit over it. Still not 100%. No, there yet, where it just feels like there's been a ton of disappointment from the Phillies to the Eagles. Got to question who's next. Maybe the Sixers. Oh, no, well, just... no, no, that's not happening. Hey. That's, that's not. Hey, remember the Union <laughs> lost too. You guys have lost three championship games in 99 days. Hey, I'm not a big Union, Union guys. I think the Union lost their game as we were waiting for Stan Drayton to come out. That was like on a Saturday yeah. Temple football game, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. And they lost in a shootout too, right, or something like that. It was like like a penalty shootout at the end of the game, or yeah. headline: Philly can't get the job done. Oh come on, Javon! More on page seven. Stirring the pot, <laughs> he jumps <laughs> to page seven. I like it. Uh, famous number twenty-eight, guys. Adrian, Adrian Peterson. Peterson. Oh yeah, Jinx. Marshall Steve Pierce. Oh. oh yeah, Marshall Falk. Didn't Daryl Green wear twenty-eight when he was he in did. Washington? Or he did. He wore number twenty-eight. I thought you were going to go with, like, uh, Corral Buckhalter, Caden. No, that's a good one. Walter Thurman, the Eagle safety that played for, like, one year. Uh, I think Cardis Martin were 28 with uh, – was it? Yeah, I think the so. Jets? The Jets? Yeah, I think so. There you go. Rui Hachimura. That's a good uh-huh. one. Yeah. Hmm. Not bad. Some good 28s. Jason Worth. Yeah. J- Jason mm-hmm. Worth. The 2008 Phil's World Series team. Um, well, this is going to be a, of, of more of a football-heavy uh, podcast today. We're going to talk a lot about uh, kind of taking a look ahead at, at spring football for Temple. Uh, a bunch of us as reporters got the chance to talk to Stan Drayton earlier this week. We've got some football mailbag questions. And then uh, toward the end of the podcast, we want to touch on a couple of stories. Uh, one that, that Caden did, I thought was a it's really just beautifully done on Diane Richardson and the Inquirer. And then one that's coming up that Javon has is going to be in the Inquirer about Kobe Bryant's impact uh, with All-Star Weekend coming up. So we'll we'll touch on that stuff as well. We're not really going to be talking just because of the timing of the week. A lot of basketball this week. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. So by the time you guys listen to this, depending on how quickly we turn it around, uh, Temple's 14 and 12 heading into tonight's game against Wichita State. They're trying to break a three-game losing streak. Wichita State's 13 and 12. They're six and seven in conference play. So between that and you take nothing for granted with this Temple team, as Aaron said, I think it was either last week or a couple weeks ago, right, Javon? Aaron said he's never really finding himself sitting on the bench, relaxing with six or seven minutes left and saying, hmm, what am I having for dinner tonight? That just hasn't been his existence. But Temple's lost three in a row with Wichita State coming in tonight, and then Tulsa, a five and twenty Tulsa team that's one and thirteen now in the conference. 
Devils got a chance to to improve the 16 and 12 if they can win these next couple of games. We'll see. But again, because of the fact that we're recording before the game, not really going to be talking a ton of hoops today. More so uh, about football. So again, uh, earlier this week, Stan Drayton talked to reporters about the the seven players they announced in the the February signing period uh, for the 2023 class, and uh, a lot came out of of Tuesday's. Was it Tuesday? It was Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Tuesday's Tuesday. session. You know, Stan talked about um, you know in, in terms of the roster makeup. He talked about the fact that he's potentially looking for an older guy to add to the quarterback room who can compete said he wants to add some offensive line and defensive line depth. They could maybe sign as many as five or six more players when the transfer portal opens up again in May, that could be, you know, there could be more there. As we know that after spring ball, the coaches again, reassess the roster, they meet with players and find out where they are. Sometimes they have those conversations where they say, Hey, if you want to start, more power to you, but it's probably not going to be here. We can probably help you get somewhere else. So we'll see how things go. And and again, adding a quarterback to that room, that, that could be interesting. I'll, I'll be interested to see how that plays out because you know, every coach says you can come in and compete, but any guy coming in is going to see that EJ Warner, barring any sort of collapse, is going to be the incumbent starter. And then you have Tyler Douglas coming in as a priority recruit who's competing with them. We'll have some audio on, on those two guys in a little bit. Uh, then you have Quincy Patterson, who's probably we'll see you know we'll see if he backs up ej this year or if it's going to be tyler douglas so i don't know maybe it's a guy at the fcs level who's been a late bloomer who thinks he can come in and develop over time Uh, they've got 11 scholarship offensive linemen they have three high school recruits coming in there and then of course you're you're losing your left tackle and isaac moore your center and adam klein who's played some right tackle so you have some big shoes to fill there and uh, on the defensive line same thing in that you have three incoming freshmen uh, on the offensive line, Diego Barajas, maybe he's a mid-year guy on the offensive line that can step in and play one of the tackle positions. Melvin Ciani's coming in. But then again, the three freshmen who won't be here till the summer are Kevin Terry, Eric King, Luke Watson. Not impossible for a true freshman to start a top in a lot in Temple's history, but maybe unlikely this time around. But um, guys, before we get into some some audio here, what, what were your general takeaways from from Tuesday. I know I just hit on some of the stuff there, but what, what did you take from, from Tuesday's session? Yeah, I think Stan was, you know, especially transparent when it came to his thoughts and ideas of the transfer portal, where I think, you know, there's a lot of questions about it. And from the sense I got is something that, you know, from what he said is that he's not necessarily, it's not something I don't really saying it's not something he'll promote, but he understands it's kind of the reality, of, you know, college football nowadays where you're going to lose players you're going to game players. And I think even at one point talked about how, you know, sometimes, you know, even in the spring, they'll develop some players for other programs because they'll excellent. So just the understanding of that, it's the second year as head coach and his roster is going to be evolving over time. I think he said they mean like 32 additions is what he said during the Zoom press conference. So I think it's good to see that, you know, although maybe he's not the hugest fan of the portal, that he understands the reality. And also just confirming you know, some of the things that we thought is that they're definitely going to have to add some offensive linemen, like you mentioned, John, because right now they don't have a ton of experience. They have Victor Stoffel coming back, which of course and a couple other guys, Richard, Richard Rodriguez, but they don't have a ton of experience. And the guys that do, you know, they're you know that are returning next year aren't guys that prove to be like high level starters, yeah. you know, right now, and they don't have a ton of depth. So and and then on the defensive line, 
you know, as well, if they make additions up front, it's something they still need to do because I don't know if they have a guy on that roster right now that's going to be able to replace Darian Varner. And Darian Varner was a difference maker last year. And he talked about Darian Varner during the press conference as well. And for the most part, for the transfer portal, they didn't lose a ton of high-impact guys other than Varner, but they still, in my opinion, they haven't really filled that role yet. So if they can get another guy or two in that defensive line room, and then same with the quarterback, it makes you know all the sense in the world because Quincy Patterson proved you know in limited snaps last year that he's not really a good player. You can't really you know trust him to be a guy who can go out there and throw the ball and win you games. And then and Tyler Douglas, although maybe they're excited about his upside, we don't know where he's going to be at this level. So to get someone that can actually you know back up EJ Warner is a must. And I think, you know, competition is a good thing. So I think for the most part, that's what we learned. And Stan mentioned wanting some depth uh, on both the offensive line and the defensive line, but he doesn't want to give those scholarships just to bodies. He wants them to be quality football players. So it turns into a question of um, who becomes available after spring ball and who do you feel confident in being able to play, you know, at the level that Temple is going to play in. And I think Kyle brought this up a few weeks ago. Uh, when we were heavy in the recruiting season, when it came to getting another quarterback in the room, it's who are you going to get to can who who are you going to convince to sit behind a sophomore and a freshman? Uh, so I think it'll be very intriguing to see who's the salesman on the staff that can convince someone to do that. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of EJ Warner and Tyler Douglas, Max Dittenberg from our staff asked Stan about that what that relationship has been like now that they've had time to spend time around each other because. Again, Tyler Douglas from Ocean Township is a mid-year enrollee, so he graduated early. He's now at Temple on Temple's campus, and he's going to be able to participate in spring football starting next month. Uh, and here's what Stan Drayton had to say about the relationship that those two have forged so far. Those those two guys are tired at the hip right now. You know, we got Tyler in here. He's one of our early enrollees, and, you know, um, EJ's leading the charge in that quarterback room, and those guys are tied at the hip. One thing I could say uh, about Tyler, he's very excited to learn from EJ. You know, one thing that I could say about EJ, he's excited to continue to learn and get better. You know, so you got two motivated, two self-motivated individuals that are working together every single day, you know, and, um, you know, obviously when you get that kind of camaraderie and that kind of competition in the room, you can expect those guys to get better. You know what I mean? So uh, it's, it's critically important uh, that they have a level of respect for each other that way and understand that it's still a competition, you know, without losing the camaraderie that needs to be built between the two. OK, so uh, I think uh, with those two guys both being unselfish uh, characters, uh, they're, they're doing a great job is coexisting with each other and everything right now. I saw also in addition to that, I, I asked Stan about you know, the two Florida transfers who were notable additions. And and like, you know, Caden said, uh, Stan was pretty honest. He talked about how, you know, a different subject, how sometimes you might be developing a guy that's going to end up hitting the portal. I think Stan's been pretty honest. He was really honest Tuesday. And then when he was talking about Dewan Black and Kamar Wilcox, and, you know, both of whom, again, are mid-year enrollees, they're going to be here for spring ball. So they're enrolled. You know, Wilcoxon could be a big help at safety. And then Dewan Black is a, a linebacker, a linebacker with a lot of versatility. And, and Stan talked about how both of them kind of just, you know, not so much lost their way, but they did kind of get lost in the shuffle because of a coaching change. So we kind of didn't really build these guys up to be anything that they are or are not. But I think that both of them have a really good opportunity at Temple. So here's more of a, a detailed scouting report on Dewan Black and Kamar Wilcox and how Temple got involved with them and what he thinks they could be to the program. 
Yeah, John, I think, the, the, you know, the one thing about those two players is that they've got playing experience under their belt. Okay, uh, both of which are coming from the University of Florida that were a part of a coaching change, right? And when that coaching staff change came in, uh, they were struggling to find their role on the football team. So um, Dewan Black is a guy who, uh, you know, goes to Florida from Mississippi, uh, voted the top player out of the state of Mississippi, signs with Florida. And they're playing them all over the place, right? So you're looking at a 6'2 and a half, 6'3 frame um, that came to us at 210, right? And now he's currently sitting at 230, right? So I get it what coaches were trying to figure out with him. He played nickel, he played linebacker, he played rush in, you know, he even played safety at some point. You know, he's just a guy that's going to bring some diversity, uh, you know, on defense that way. Um, but he's a hell of a hell of an athlete, you know, uh, has a, a good football IQ because of playing all those positions. And, you know, uh, we're really excited about what his body is doing right now and his approach to the game and, you know, the level of discipline that he's showing at this point and joining our program. Um, we feel and, and hope that he's going to be very, very uh, valuable for us. Uh, we're going to find a home on defense for him. You know, we're going to, you know, make sure that he can get good at something, right? And, um, you know, but uh, when that time comes until then, you know, I think he is developing the way we need him to develop and expect him to be an impactful player for us. Uh, uh, Wilcoxon, Kamar Wilcoxon is a young man who, in my first team meeting, um, you know, stood up and talked about, you know, um, uh, him wanting to hold people accountable, him needing people to hold him accountable, you know, just showing really good traits of of leadership early on, you know, and, uh, you know, I love that, you know, we were, we're, you know, part of our program is to develop leadership and he's already showing some natural traits of that. Um, at Florida, he had a tough experience, right? I mean, he was a guy who obviously in the, in the secondary, um, uh, again, a part of that coaching change, um, found himself not being as valuable to the to that coaching staff at Florida and so um, he, he was struggling a little bit uh, just mentally uh, if he wanted to play the game a lot now I think he's got you know a breath of fresh air being a part of a program where um, his leadership is needed and uh, from uh, from a number standpoint on the back end he's gonna add some value right away for us you know but uh, again another guy who's working his butt off who's uh, uh, took the culture, uh, you know, uh, by the hand and is, is represented every single day, both on and off the football field. And and I think that uh, we'll learn a lot more about both of those guys in the spring uh, about, uh, you know, where they're going to uh, help us, excuse me, uh, you know, right away from a systematic standpoint. But uh, two, two uh, quality young men, two quality football players that are going to enhance our football team on, on that side of the ball for sure. And then again, in, in talking about Kamar Wilcox and you hear Stan talking about how he wants, uh, he, Kamar wanted to come in and kind of be a leader right away. He talked about accountability and stuff like that. And Johnny's Wislak from our staff had asked Stan about how important the single digits are now during a time like this, when there is a lot of transition. And right now they just only have two of them. It's just Jordan McGee and Jalen McMurray as the returning single, single digit players. So here's what Stan said about their roles and how they can, play a role right now what's asked of them at a time when you're headed into spring ball and there has been a lot of roster transition this is critical right you know um and I, and I had that conversation with kamara who's got these natural leadership 
skills to him. You know, however, he's got some single digits that have done it right over a year and uh, it's their job to make sure that they're they're bridging the gap on you know where these guys are coming from and what they are joining they're joining a culture and it's a certain way that this culture goes about business and it's their job as single digit guys to make sure that everybody's aligned with the culture you know so they have a job to do it's, you know you're single digit you, you just don't sit there and wear your single digit no you, you have a job to do your job is to make sure that your teammates are uh uh, aligned with what we're trying to accomplish as a football team. So that's where they become critically important for us in transition like this. So before we go to the mailbag, I'll, I'll ask you guys, is there a mid-year player you're you're looking forward to seeing who could make an impact in spring ball? I guess we're hopefully going to get the, the media availability schedule sooner rather than later. They've been pretty good about making the, the, the coordinators, the assistant coaches available. Hopefully we'll have more players available this time around last spring. We did not have, uh, we didn't have uh, players available to us. I think that was uh, uh, kind of a, a, a blind spot in, in all of our coverage. Cause we couldn't just couldn't talk to players and Stan talked about wanting to find good voices in the room there, but I'm assuming we'll get players this time around, but nonetheless, it's always fun to cover spring ball and in, in the time that we do get to see practice, which isn't always a lot, but they've got a lot of mid-year guys coming in Um what do you guys think? Are there a couple of guys that you're looking forward to seeing guys that that could really start to carve out a role guys where that that extra set of spring practices could really make a difference come August and then in September? I'm actually excited to see Dwan Black because I don't know if, you know, I can't I don't have a crystal ball and say that he's definitely going to be an impact player. But the fact that, you know, when he signed to Florida, he was a safety. So we know he's a really good athlete. He transitioned to linebacker and then you look at the linebacker room right now, if he's able to come in and make an impact, you can argue this is one of the strongest position groups on the team because you have Jordan McGee coming back, you know, as your leader on the defense. You'll have Jacob Hollins, who I thought, you know, showed last year as a transfer coming in from uh, from a community college um, that, he, that he could really, you know, you know, play at times. And I also think they have Trey Thomas back there. So they add another linebacker like DeWan Black and he can make an impact. I think you have four legitimate linebackers and that's a deep group and, I think that could be your calling card in defense. Yeah, I think Black's uh, athleticism is what intrigues me the most. When I talked to uh, Camargo Cox, and he was telling me that guy's 6'3", 230, and, and can line up at receiver, and he's playing linebacker with experience at safety. Uh, so I think, you know, what the, when they figure out what to do with him, because Stan touched on that Tuesday with spring ball is going to be finding out what he's the best at and trying to get him to excel in that position. Once they figure out, which position is best for him? I'm looking forward to see how he blossoms. I think for me, I mean, there are, I'm not to name everybody, but there are a few guys that are really intriguing. But I think Kamar Wilcoxon at safety could make a huge impact, you know, like anything to show up the back end of that defense and, and any any talent upgrade there will just allow DJ Elliott to do more. So getting a guy of, of his caliber, a guy that was a really, really good high school player. I'm going to be really intrigued to see what he can do. Uh, a guy like Diego Barajas, again, a guy that uh, a junior college player who has some tackle experience, six, six, 300. Maybe you see him getting some first team reps at, at one of the, one of the tackle positions. And then, uh, I mean, obviously Taiwan Francis, that's been shored up. He's coming in from Colorado state, another safety. Uh, and then maybe finally, I, I don't know, a guy like a, 
Oh gosh, there are a lot of guys here to, to look at. A Preston Everhart, a slot receiver, possibly. Uh, but I, I think there are a lot of guys that are really, really going to benefit uh from from getting in early. Certainly Tyler Douglas, but um those guys especially, I think there's gonna be a lot of a, a lot of fun football to watch. Again, we say this every year. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, it, we don't get to see unless they change their policy this year, we don't see we don't get to see the entirety of of practice. So we, we won't be able to give you blow by blow of, of, of what's going on. And then when we do cover the spring game, a lot of it is kind of an exhibition and more, you know, performative than, than anything else. But, um, you know, and, and a guy like Kyle Williams too, the freshman running back who's coming in from Harrisburg high school, him getting some reps at a position where obviously they were one of the worst rushing offenses in the country. Of course, that goes hand in hand with the, the offensive line play has to improve. So a lot of guys to look at, uh, in the spring. So we look forward to that. Do you have a couple of uh, football mailbag questions to get to here? Again, these are from our alscoop.com subscribers. First one here from Mike TB31. Should we expect a six and six bowl game or bust type of season? See, to me, that's kind of tough because bowl game or bust for a second year of a program that was, that's unfair. Yeah. That's unfair. Yes. It was left in no disarray. By um, you know, Rod Carey, the program really went through a rough time. Sandrayton's had to come in and rebuild the program. And I think two years to put that to the point where he has to make a bowl game is too much. And you look at this roster still, it's not really complete. They're adding a bunch of players to this offensive line room who are true freshmen and a, you know, a transfer as well. So they have a lot of positions that are still unclear. So I think six and six is a tough mark to definitely make a bowl game or bust. But I do think they have a realistic shot of making a bowl game. I think this conference has gotten worse with the teams leaving for the Big 12. So there might be an opportunity there. But if they finish five and seven at the end of this year, I don't think it's going to be a bad you know thing by any mark because I don't think anyone really expects this team to really compete again. Yeah, I think six and six is very reachable. We've predicted it ourselves with the say it's six it's six and six or bust is ridiculous. By the way, I hate the fact that you just have to be 500 to get in the bowl game. I get it. It's a big money grant, but you got schools that lose money by playing in these meaningless bowls. Most, like, most teams do. I mean, even I can even remember not to get us off track, Devon. I can remember the year that that UConn went to the Fiesta Bowl. I think they had Donald Brown. And that was a big bowl game. And I think they still ended up losing money going to that game because it's a quick turnaround. The most of these bowls say, here's your ticket allotment. You have to buy the tickets and then sell them back. And unless you are one of the blue bloods of the of the world, not everybody has a fan base that's like, yep, I unconditionally think of like earmarking this time for bowl games every year. So you're right. A lot of them do lose money. Yeah. Like you got cats playing the one a day vitamins bowl. Like, I don't want to see that. It's it's useless. <laughs> like Wait, 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 wait. Am I like is that an actual that's not an actual bowl, right? No, it's not. It's not. Okay. Because you I never know. I started laughing. I was like, it's very creative. And I was like, wait, let me just triple check that that's not actually a bowl, because you never know. It, 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 give it two years and it might be. That's my point. Like, listen, all I need is 26 teams. Give me the top 25 plus one. That's 13 good bowl games right there. And it'll mean something again. You'll actually get guys to stop dropping out of bowl games to protect my stock. You can get hurt. And any of the other 12 games before that, 13 if you played in your conference championship. So that's the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. Just tell me you don't have any heart, and I'll just be – I'll be okay with the honesty. But it, different conversation for a different day. Anyway, 6-6 six and six very much can happen. But uh, to say it's bowl game or bust seems unfair for a second-year coach cleaning up the the dumpster fire that Pat Kraft and Rod Carey left the program with. One a day vitamins, Paul. Crack me up. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were talking about this. There was a similar mailbag question 
last week. And we talked about if, if you look at the non-conference schedule, it's doable and it's manageable. You you host Akron to start the season. Then you go up to Rutgers the following week, short road trip. That's a day game uh, or a day trip, I should say. Rutgers is beatable until they until you can show me a, a capable quarterback there. They are beatable. Temple almost beat them last season. Then you come back, you got Norfolk State. Uh, who knows who knows how Miami's gonna be this year? Like that non-conference slate, they could look, who's to say they could be three and one? Yeah, who's to say they can't go three and one, maybe pull off an upset? Like that's not that's a very manageable non-conference slate. What we talked about a lot last week was how they get in this first year of a newer, revamped American Athletic Conference, they get some good teams coming in. Uh, you know. When you look at the the teams that are coming in, UTSA eleven and three last year. North Texas, a tough net, uh, North Texas team that was seven and seven. So they're not exactly getting, you know, some of these cupcake teams that are coming in. So I, I agree with Javon. I think that that six and six is definitely attainable. But if they are five and seven, but you see a lot of positive development and growth and building, I don't think that that's a bad thing either. But yeah, it's a fair question, and I'm sure we'll get that question a lot as the season gets closer. We'll get a lot of schedule prediction types of questions. Next, a uh, couple mailbag questions here. Both come from Park Al, from again, from the football message board. Since it's football heavy, I'll indulge myself with two questions. Number one, is there any chance that Dewan Mathis makes an impact at wide receiver? And number two, which transfers have a decent shot at starting? Let's look at a, a question number one. Is there any chance that Dewan Mathis makes an impact at wide receiver? What do you guys think? I think there's an outside shot that he does make an impact and maybe in the sense that where I think he might have to play snaps. I have a hard time seeing him become a player that you can really rely on that that transition from quarterback to wide receiver. One, I just don't think he's the athlete to do that at quarterback. He never really looked athletic, you know, during the time when he was a starter. So to be able to get in and out of routes and cut, I just don't know if he could be a full-time wide receiver. Maybe you know, Danny Langsdorf developed some type of package with him. He is 6'6". He's got good size. Maybe you can use him in the red zone for certain things where he can create, create some mismatches. But I just don't know if he's going to be that guy who becomes reliable. And that's why I think at the end of the day, Temple should, maybe still needs to add another wide receiver to this group because you did lose Adonica Sanders. You did lose Jose Barbone. And you don't really have much proven other than flashes, you know, occasionally from Ahmad Anderson Jr. and Zay Bain. So I think right now, Dewan being a real contributor in this group is a long shot, but you never know. He was highly recruited, and he's here for a reason, but we'll see what happens. I don't trust Georgia's recruitment of uh, quarterbacks too well. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, how much muscle did he put on? Because he's not, like Casey, he's not super fast or quick or anything. He's He's a tall guy that takes long strides on the field. Um, so he's very much a he's very much going to be a red zone threat guy and go get the jump ball. He's just going to have to be a physical receiver. So I can't answer that question until I see how much weight he's put on since the end of the season into spring ball. And then I probably won't answer it then. I'll probably need to see how he looks in August after additional, what, three, four months of weightlifting in the summer. Um, so I, yeah, I don't have an answer for that right now. Yeah, I, I I think that's a, a fair answer. I, you, we have to see what he looks like in the spring. I, I think there's an outside shot that he could. Could I see him if if you know if Park Al was saying, okay, I get that you're trying to be fair, you're trying to be thorough, but look ahead. What do you see? Could I see him being a 12, 15 catch guy? Maybe. You know, he does have good speed. He's got good 
straightaway speed, but as we know, that's like far from the only thing when it comes to playing wide receiver, you're not just running go routes all the time. Now, Dewan didn't, he couldn't transfer again to another FBS program without having to sit. He could have transferred down to the FCS level to play right away, but I don't know. I think it's interesting that he decided to stay as far as we know, again, there could be an opportunity for anybody to transfer again in the spring, but he's still here. Didn't, you know, he lost the job, lost the starting quarterback job. Here's a guy whose ego, anybody's ego would have taken a huge hit over the past three years with, with what he's been through between, you know, the, the brain injury, just like losing a starting job at Georgia from where he was from a recruiting perspective to where he is now. I do think it says something from a character standpoint that he's decided to stay. So maybe he can build off of that. Do I see him being what Jose Barbone was? No, but I think high end. Yeah. He could be a red zone threat. Could be, maybe he could be a guy that could get you 15 or 20 catches. We'll see. I agree with you guys. Well, we'll know a lot more after the spring mailbag question. Number two, which transfers have a decent shot at starting? I think there are several who could, what do you guys think? Yeah, the one that pops to mind me right away is Dante Wright, just yeah, because yeah. Of that position to, to fill with Jose Barbone and Sanders gone. Uh, also a really good special teams player in the Mountain West Conference, and he proved that he could play at a high level. And then the other guy that I think is maybe a sneaky player that could be a starter is Alan Hay, because they don't really have any guy in the interior defensive line that I think is a true difference maker. There wasn't a moment last year where like any of the interior defensive linemen really popped off, but maybe there's a role there to at least earn snaps and crack the rotation maybe eventually comes, you know, started before the season begins. Yeah, Dante Wright was my guy. You're coming into the position group that I guess outside of O-line needs the most help. Um, you got that much experience and some All-Mountain West nods. He has to be the clear-cut favorite. There are a couple guys that jump out to me. They, they seem to, again, you could say, who are they not high on? On signing day, but they they seem to be really excited about uh, a JUCO kid like Ben Osuike. Uh, he could be potentially a guy that could could come in and earn a starting spot at corner. Uh, and again, I mentioned him, you know, mentioned him earlier along along the offensive line. But uh, maybe a guy like Diego Brajas, because again, he, you know, you're you're losing. Now you could have Victor Stolfo at right tackle, but who's your left tackle? We we don't know. We don't know at this point. Maybe it's a late May transfer portal edition guy that, that they add who's a no-brainer that we don't know about yet. But uh, I think he's a possibility there. And again, Kamar, a guy like Kamar Wilcox. And so uh, we'll see. But we'll have a lot more ahead when it comes to talking about spring football. Uh, as I promised at the outset of the show, uh, wanted to have Caden and Javon talk about couple of stories, one that they, they already had published in the Inquirer, which is Caden's story about Diane Richardson, which, like I said, I think was really beautifully done. And also, again, if, if you haven't read it, his story on Cora John Cooch, um, if you if you look at a lot of the like the the video, the the production that they put together, where you have um, where you have Jimmy Fennerty talking about Core um, before they put that stuff out, which was also nicely done. You had Caden's story in the Inquirer. Uh, about just what Core John Cooch has gone through in his life. If you haven't read it, it's a terrific, terrific read. But I wanted to have Caden just touch upon the, the story that he just did recently on Diane Richardson, the first-year Temple women's basketball coach. They are 10 and 14 at this point, clearly rebuilding. They've had, you know, they've had a few roster changes. They're five and seven in the conference heading into this weekend's game. But uh, you know, we're all getting to know Diane Richardson, but when you read this story that Caden wrote about her, you, you gain such an appreciation for what 
what she's done in her life and what she's accomplished as a as a parent. And Kaden, I was just hoping you could touch on just what that story was like, a little bit of the reporting process and take it behind it, because it was really a beautiful story. Very well done. Yeah, Diane Richardson, uh, you know, everyone who's reported on her and been part of the media knows she's an absolute joy to be around personality-wise, always cracking jokes and laughing, always messing with Javon when he's on the basketball court after games. But she has a great personality, but she also has a really powerful story as well. And Diane, you know, maybe not known as well, as has, has four kids. And two of her kids are on the autism spectrum. One of the, her kids named Dana, she's a 38-year-old uh, woman, and she has cerebral palsy. So, you know, her entire life, Diane Richardson has raised Michael and Dana, and both of her kids have gone through you know, really tough things where Dana, you know, because of cerebral palsy at one point, because she's not able to communicate, you know, effectively sometimes, at least with, like, words, they weren't able to tell that she had, like, a, like strep throat. And they had to take her to the hospital and get like a try. I forget how to say the thing, but tracheotomy. Tracheotomy. So basically, they had to like slit her throat open to get her air. So her daughter, you know, went through cerebral palsy and went through so much. And then her son, who was on the autism spectrum, you know, grew up in school and was bullied, and teachers misunderstood him because you know he thought differently and he did things differently, and he you know he he went through a lot of bullying and he went through you know a deepening depression. So Diane, you know, had to raise two kids that went through so many different challenges. But at the same time, because of what she experienced as a mother, she's been able to incorporate that, you know, in her basketball, you know, career with being able to, you know, patience and love. And it's kind of helped her mentor, you know, some of her players. And for from her perspective, from what she told me, she feels like that is the reason why she's been successful at Towson, bringing them to their first ever NCAA tournament in 2019. And why she's been successful as a high school coach as well as she's able to connect and understand everyone you know, they're different personalities, different needs. And, you know, her experience as a mother has really made her successful in everywhere in life. And it gives her a different, you know, appreciation. And just from the reporting aspect, you know, it was just, I didn't, came into that story not knowing. I mean, I knew the story I wanted to do is we wanted to do a piece on like autism awareness, but I had no idea that it was to that extent of what she'd been through. And I talked to her, her family members and John Coyle Jones, who's a WNBA MVP and a cool tidbit in the stories that if you read it is, she was, you know, so highly recruited to the, she went to Clemson and then she wanted to transfer from Clemson. And Diana was telling me she had all these different offers from Baylor and UConn. She could have played anywhere, but she decided to transfer to George Washington to be closer to her brother. So just the whole entire family was very helpful. And at the end of the day, I was just I was just the messenger of the story. So it was very you know powerful. And I think it's worth a read. Yeah, it's really, really well done. And, and it really gives you an appreciation for just the the emotional and the and really the financial resources that that she has had to put into being a mother while you know managing a schedule where you're recruiting you're traveling around for basketball really really well done and, and just uh, wanted to give our listeners some insight into that we don't always talk uh, we cover the women's team don't talk a ton about them on the podcast but really a nice story there and then Javon you have a story coming up this weekend about you know with all-star weekend coming up and, and kobe bryant's influence and you talk to some players about how kobe's influenced them we're going to play an audio clip for you guys in a second from damian dunn but you want to give our listeners a little preview of what they'll read in the inquire this weekend and in, in your story yeah listen i'm only 21 but this is probably going to be my favorite story that i ever write in life everyone who knows me knows how much Kobe meant to me i'm probably not speaking to you guys on this podcast had I not discovered him on a Thursday night basketball game against D Rose and the Bulls back in whatever year it was. Um, 
you know, but, you know, Kobe's got some connections to Temple uh, back when he was simply known as Jelly Beans Kid mm-hmm. from, you know, 92 to 90, 92 to 96. Uh, he'd come up to Temple, uh, run pickup with those guys after Coach Chaney left them, uh, let them out of practice. Eventually, Aaron and Eddie would get drafted from those teams and Kobe would wind up being a Laker with both of them at one point in his career. Um, Eddie got drafted two years before Kobe, made an all-star game, was so good that Kobe had to come off the bench for him, um, winds up getting traded for Kobe, and then, of course, Kobe beats Aaron in the 01 finals, and, uh, you know, Aaron spends his last two years of his career with Kobe, and I just wanted to dive into Aaron's brain about, you know, who Kobe was as a person and a ball player, and then, you know, knowing the influence that Kobe had on Zach Hicks, uh, you know, he's the reason Zach wears 24, uh, his influence on Dame. When, when you look at Damian Dunn, you see, you know, he takes a lot of his fundamental aspects of the way he plays um, from Kobe. And Damian joked with us, he's like, you know, I probably can't do all the athletic stuff that Kobe could do, but everything he did on the ground, I try to mimic uh, as much as I can. And then with Caleb Battle, uh, a shooting guard, a tough shot maker, and they've got the same initials. Um you know, KB said, to, in his opinion, Kobe's the best player to ever walk the earth. Um, so to see the impact that he had on those three guys was cool. Um, and then Caden was here for this. After one of the women's games, Coranda Perea has a big night. And I see she's got Kobe's away jersey tatted on her arm. Um, and, you know, talk to her about that. And just to see the impact that he had on our generation um, and, you know, the people in this area and how much his journey, you know, coincided with Temple University. Um, it's a pretty cool story to tell. Yeah. So here's uh to, to send us out on the scoop this week. Here's a clip from Javon's conversation last week when we were uh, had some media availability. This is Damian Don talking about, you know, what what, what Kobe Bryant meant to him. Damn, I, I had a probably when I was like twelve. I got my first Kobe jersey ever. I probably wore that jersey like three times a week to school. <laughs> people, it was a reversible, so I was switching from the yellow to the purple. So people was joking on me all the time about wearing the jersey to school all the time. And but, you know, just watching just a guy like that who just dedicates all his time and you know just to basketball and how hard he works. Something you really want to emulate, something you aspire as a kid, you know. And um, you know, just as I got older, just knowing his backstory of being a father as well, and you know how he really just found that balance of when to be a dad and when to be a competitor. It was just something that amazed me. And, uh, man, I just wish he was here so we can watch him play more basketball. So he definitely had an impact on not me, but probably everybody who's probably played basketball. All right, so again, keep your eyes peeled for that story this weekend. Big thanks to Javon and Caden for joining me on The Scoop this week. Big thank you to all of you for joining us for another episode. Again, we'll have, of course, more, more basketball to come. In the coming weeks, we're, we're zeroing in on the conference tournament in a few weeks. And then, of course, we're getting closer and closer to spring football. So stay tuned for some good stuff there. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. And we will talk to you soon.